The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. We want to come back stronger in every way possible as individuals, as families, marriages with our kids, our church. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is that we got to get back in the game. We got to get some things going. Again, 2020 meant that some things got sidelined, put on pause. We've been talking to some people about that, both uh, staffing kinds of things and we're trying doing everything humanly possible we can to get people to, to get back in the game, to get some people to join our team. It's been challenging and tricky right now, truthfully, because we're still not quite sure what's going on here. Uh, Jesus tells a story. He says, look, the, the harvest is great and the laborers are, are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send laborers out into the field, laborers into his kingdom. And so... Uh, he also, though, said one time his disciples were trying to cast out a demon, a very difficult thing to do, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, sometimes certain things only happen by prayer and fasting. And so this Thursday, as we seek to come back stronger as a church, as we seek to mobilize you as a church, as we seek to identify uh, other people that would join our team, both as part of our church, maybe even outside the church, asking God to guide us, and then God to provide what we need. We're going to do a day of prayer and fasting on March the 11th, this Thursday. That means that that day you fast from something. You can fast from food and beverage all day. You can fast from entertainment, fast from social media. For some of you, it'd be fat easier to fast from food than to fast from your phone. But that's up to you to figure out. And we're going to gather three times. Right here, socially distanced with masks on. 9 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. Right here, for, we're going to pray for a half hour. We're going to gather up here and just ask God to move in our hearts, ask God to guide us and mobilize and provide for us, and then see what God does with that as God's people gather to do that. If you can't be here because of work, or you can't be here because right now it just, ugh, it just feels a little too, to be in a room with people like that, uh, we have a Zoom uh, gathering that we'll be uh, hosting as well, so you can join us that way as well. Nine, one, and five. Uh, what, we're, what we're doing here is this. It would be easy to go and find out all the things we should technically do, all the business model kinds of things to do. And we certainly have tried to do all those things. I believe God is calling us to say, look, before you go search out there in the business community where you can learn a lot of things, seek me first. Just come and be here. Gather together, half hour, three times, nine, one, and five this Thursday. Pay attention to your your text threads, to your email and stuff like that. We'll be sending out reminders for you all about that. Now, we're in our series called Jesus is King. And last week, we I talked to you about Jesus came into town and he said, you want me? Here I am. Came in on the baby donkey. Let's do this. Uh, oh, something's going on. There we go, making sure. Uh, somebody's wondering, who is this guy standing up here? I'm glad you asked. Uh, today, you can look at the note sheet that you have on the back of your program and get your Bibles open to the New Testament, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, somewhere in there. The title today is The King Picks a Fight. And when I was looking at this, I could thought, oh, there's no better person I know than to talk to us about the King, Jesus, coming into the church and making a mess out of the place, picking a fight, demo day kind of stuff, then my friend here, Rob Frazier. Give Rob a hand. Come on, a little better than that. Outside people, yeah? Come on. 
Uh, Rob has done ministry for decades, has spoken to crowds and, and worked with various ages uh, in various churches. He currently is the uh, one of the principals at Linfield Christian School here in town. He's got some great, powerful things uh, to, to open up for us today. So I'm going to pray, and then Rob, they're all yours. Jesus, today, by your spirit, I just believe that today there is some stuff in our hearts that we've allowed to drift in there. I know it has in my heart, especially this last year. Not big, massive stuff, but some, in some cases, we got some big, honking, nasty stuff. And Jesus, we need to come in here and take a sledgehammer and flip some things over. Uh, uh, so do that today. Get us ready to come back stronger for everything you want us to be, everything you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning, church. Well, I'm going to start with some fighting words. It was a very tense day late in 2017. You see, my team had been 29 years since we went to the World Series. And we had much invested in this team for years, and including my children, my oldest. And at the time, we were at a church in the Bay Area, and... We got lots of grief from our church as Dodger fans. My oldest was a middle school student and faithfully wore her Dodgers gear for years. And everybody else gave her grief as we watched the Giants win World Series after World Series. Well, finally, it was our time. And since we had invested so much we decided to continue that investment. So we cashed in college scholarships and savings, and Maris and I went to the first game of the World Series. It was a fantastic day. It was like 100 degrees that day, and we won that game. And then 10 days later, we had the chance. Game seven, this was, this was our day. We were finally going to be proud Dodger fans, and that day did not go well at all. And with all due respect to Angels fans and Padres fans, nobody hates the Dodgers like Giants fans, right? <laughs> I saw one Giants fan uh, this morning. So it was a rough day. And watching that game and watching us lose, I lost it. I exploded. And I threw my fist down on this bar stool that we had in our kitchen, and it split in two. And my poor dog... She just lost it. And we cannot watch any kind of game, even if I have a rooting interest or not, without her panicking. Like, oh no, he's clapping. <laughs> so we all have bad days, right? It might include going to the DMV. Maybe it's a flat tire or a rude customer. Or maybe if you're a high school student, somebody treated you terribly. And I don't know how you respond to those events, but maybe like me, you just lose it. You just explode. Or maybe you cry, or maybe something in between the two. There's a story in the New Testament, actually covered in all four of the Gospels, where Jesus seems to have this bad day, 
where he has this explosion, and it's not the Jesus that we're used to. You see, Jesus usually is this cool character, and under the most pressurized situations, he comes out really well. But this one was totally different. So think about Jesus in the, in the boat with the disciples, and there's a storm, and he's sleeping. And he says, peace be still, and everything's fixed. Wow, that Jesus is pretty cool. Or think about Jesus in the situation with the woman caught in adultery, and he's drawing something on the ground, and he drops this great one line. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And then one by one they leave. This Jesus who's a cool character is not the same Jesus that seems in this story. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 11. Starting with verse 15. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So as Pastor Steve said, I'm an assistant principal. And so part of my job is discipline. It's talking to the kids in their worst moments. And a lot of these conversations go like this. Ah, you made some bad choices. You should not have hit him. Or something like this. You might have made a bad choice today. You shouldn't have thrown your lunch up on the roof. Or something like this. You made a bad choice today. You shouldn't have thrown your sweatshirt up on the roof. Or you shouldn't have thrown your friend's sweatshirt up on the roof. So this Jesus comes into the temple and he sees this corruption. And it's not the Jesus who sits down and says to the vendors, hey guys, you made a bad choice today. This is a different Jesus. This is crazy guy Jesus. This is Jesus who just goes ballistic. And he's running around knocking tables. John says that he made a whip and he's going crazy. But can we really blame him? If you were here last week or you heard the message, you know that this is right after Palm Sunday. This is right after Jesus enters Jerusalem. And Jesus is on this high, high where in this parade, people are going crazy. Save now, save now, save us, Jesus. And people are cheering and it's packed and they go crazy. And then the parade is over. There's confetti on the ground. There's empty soda cans, and it's a little bit more quiet. And now Jesus goes from a high, high to a low, low, and remembers that in a few days, he's going to die a gruesome death. So can you blame Jesus? And then he comes in the temple, and he sees the corruption, and he just explodes. It really looks like he's having a bad day. God's heart house has been turned into farmer's market. But if you take a deeper look into this passage, I think that Jesus' anger is really justified. See, it was Passover, and Passover was a mandated visit for all Jewish males, no matter where they were living. So people had to come into Jerusalem 
from far, far away at times. And they had, cut, had to come to the tabernacle, they had to come to the temple, and they had to make a sacrifice. They had to bring something that was very costly to them, a sheep or a dove for those who didn't have as much money and give it back to God. Now, if you've ever taken a, a road trip or a camping trip and it's been a really far trip, let's say you go to Yellowstone or something like that, you know that probably the easiest thing to do is let's just drive there and then we'll do our grocery shopping there. That way we don't have to shop here and every day stop and get more ice for the cooler and rinse it out and the peanut and butter and jelly gets all over the place. You're going to wait until you get there. So the people traveling to Jerusalem on Passover, they come and they purchase the sacrifice once they get there. But we have two major problems. The first one is a money problem. Okay, imagine it this way. You go to an amusement park, right? It's been a long time since you've been, and you can't wait to take your kids, you can't wait to take your grandkids, and you get there, and you have to pay for parking. Ugh. And then you got to go buy these tickets, and then you got to buy the way overpriced food, and then your kids want souvenirs. And pretty soon, you can't make a few car payments for the next month, few months because you've gone to an amusement park for a day. Now, what happens with this? What happens if after COVID, amusement parks say, you know what, before you come in, actually, we've made a different decision. We have our own currency to use. Your US dollars, they don't work here anymore. So right by the entrance over there, there's a bank and we own that bank. And so you have to go exchange your money at our bank so that you can purchase things in our park. Oh, and by the way, it's not a great exchange rate. It's kind of what's happening here. And this is a mandatory visit. It's a mandatory sacrifice with inflated prices at an exchange rate that's controlled. And specifically, we hear about the doves mentioned here. Those who are the poorest are suffering the most. Financial exploitation is the first major problem going on here. The second one that I see is ethnic superiority. The Jews are God's chosen people. And the term Gentile essentially means anybody who's not Jewish. Now, some of these Gentiles had converted to Judaism. But they didn't have the full access to the temple. It's kind of funny that we're here this morning and some of us are outside and some of us are inside. What if those were specifications based on what you give to the church or what you wear or what you look like or your hair color or something like that? The Jews had, had uh, created these divisions in the temple that weren't there in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the only division were those who were priests, and specifically the high priest, could enter the most holy place. Everybody else had to keep their distance from there. But at this point, there was kind of this tiered system. So the Gentiles could come in and hang out in the main courtyard, but then you took a, a few steps up to this next tier, and the Jews could go to that area. And then the Jewish males could leave that women's courtyard and get an even closer seat to the action. Israel was supposed to be a witness. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. 
And here they are denying access to people who are earnestly seeking God. These are simple, salt-of-the-earth people who want to know God, who want to pray. And they're being denied access because these leaders are creating obstacles to God. And Jesus sees this and he just loses it. His anger's on full display. Now what's interesting that is if you're going to convey a message, if you're going to right a wrong, if you want to let people know about something, it's probably best to do it in front of as many people as possible, right? Especially back then when they didn't have these to communicate with. So isn't it interesting that Jesus kind of picks the right time. I mean, Jerusalem is packed three times its normal population. It is standing room only. It's so packed that people have to sleep outside the, t- the city walls and kind of trek in every day to the tabernacle. Think about like New Orleans at Mardi Gras, not during COVID, but regular years. Or think about New York City on New Year's Eve. Shoulder to shoulder, it's packed. And so Jesus has quite a crowd. It's almost like he planned it. So what if Jesus actually had more than just a bad day? Would he plan something like this? Would Jesus actually pick a fight? There's an amazing story in our history as Americans. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks was having a bad day. You see, she had just spent a long day working. She was a seamstress. And after that long day, her feet were tired and she got on that bus in Montgomery, Alabama. And the bus driver said, move to the back. And she finally said, no, I'm staying here. She was arrested tried and found guilty four days later. But what's interesting is that maybe it was more than just a bad day. If you take a deeper dive in the story, you find out that in 1955, that was not the first arrest in Montgomery, Alabama of somebody not moving in a bus. There were others, including that Eight, nine months earlier, a 15-year-old high school student, Claudette Colvin, who refused to move her seat on the bus. And she too was arrested, 15 years old. And pretty soon she met this woman named Rosa Parks, who was was not just any ordinary citizen, but was actually the secretary chapter for the Montgomery chapter of the NAACP. And she was also a youth mentor within that organization. And you see, local leaders were trying to figure out how can we end this bus segregation? So when she found herself on the bus that day, it wasn't her plan to do this, but she found the opportunity. And Rosa was only 42 years old. She was not more tired than usual, She was just, quote, tired of giving in, end quote. On the surface, what seemed to be just a bad day for her ended up having her pick a fight. Rosa Parks that day knocked over some tables. 
Despite the fact that she was arrested and found guilty, despite the fact that she lost her job for taking that stance, despite the fact that she had to move to Detroit, Michigan to find work because she was no longer welcome, she changed history. And it sparked a civil rights movement. And a bus strike started that day, December 5th, 1955. And a year later, the Supreme Court of the United States ended bus segregation. And upon her death in 2005, Rosa Parks became the first woman in United States history to lie in honor in the Capitol Rotunda. When we look at Jesus' bad day, there is evidence that it was more than just a bad day. There was evidence that Jesus, too, picked a fight. The first piece of evidence that I had are the circumstances. We've talked about the corruption that he sees. All these people that were marginalized, that had no voice, were just being corrupted and exploited. And then right before the story in the book of Mark and right after, so we call it kind of like a sandwich, Jesus has this funny situation happen, right? You kind of wonder, well, why does Mark include this story? We find out that Jesus is walking to the temple and he's hungry. So he decides to get a bite to eat and he sees this fig tree. It's like, okay, good. I can get some fruit on the way for my day. And he walks up to the fig tree and there's no fruit on it. He's like, you're killing me. This, this fig tree, nothing. And Jesus uses this as an object lesson. And he tells his disciples, do you see this tree? Do you see what's going on here? This tree is an exact replica of those who are leading in the temple. This tree is pointless. It is fruitless. Those temple leaders are fruitless. And after this story, you find out that Jesus comes back the next day and the disciples see this tree and the, and the tree has withered because Jesus cursed the tree. The second piece of evidence that Jesus picked a fight that day is his calling. And the Jesus that welcomed little children to him and said, peace be still to the waves, said this, Matthew 10. Do not imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Ooh, those are fighting words. I kind of like this, Jesus. <laughs> the third piece of evidence is that Jesus picks the perfect moment for a fight. It's Passover, it's packed. He goes to the middle of the party. He goes to the temple where everything is happening. And then he likely chooses the busiest hour. If you rewind and you look at verse 11 of Mark 11, it says, so Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Interesting. So after this crazy parade and things start to die down, it's in the evening, he takes a peek into the temple courts. And what is he doing? Is he psyching himself up? Is he too nervous to go in? Or is he strategizing? 
I could do it now, but there's a whole lot more people that could be watching this. One of my favorite all-time movies is Ocean's Eleven. And in this movie, movie the, these 11 guys go and they decide to rob these three casinos. And they could go at any time and make a ton of money. They could go during a weekday. They could go during the summer. Or they could make a little bit more money and go on the weekend where it's more crowded. Or they could go when the most money of the entire year is in the vault. Fight night. So they make that decision that when the most money is being exchanged and gambled, when the most money is in, that, in those vaults, that's when they go. Jesus goes into the temple when it's the most crowded and most money is being exchanged. The fourth piece of evidence is that it is finally now, after years, time for Jesus to pick a fight. Think about early on in the Gospels when Jesus keeps telling his disciples, no, 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 not yet. It's not my time. Well, today is different. Just a few days earlier, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and he tells his disciples, okay, guys, this is it. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to die. These guys are going to kill me. He knows it's coming. And Jesus has been to the temple many times before, and it's the same scene, corruption, financial, segregation. He chooses this day to pick a fight. He is no longer hiding, and he says, all right, guys, here I am. There's no escaping him running around, knocking over tables. Jesus pokes the bear. Jesus slaps the bear. Jesus kicks the bear in the shins. (laughs) He is not hiding. Today is the day. Jesus' time has now come. And they know it and they're ready to kill him. The fifth piece of evidence that Jesus has picked a fight is this. He picked the perfect location. He could have done this anywhere. He could have gone to the Starbucks where he saw some of the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? But he picked the most busy location. The temple was center stage. And the temple was once home to the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence with his chosen people. And that's where he goes. The temple should have been, for all these people coming to Passover, a place of prayer and reverence and worship and celebration. But the temple had now just become any old building. It had become a marketplace. It had become a place where those in charge could manipulate and corrupt those who were coming. A chance for them to grab some more power, some more money for their 401k. Jesus picked a fight. So it was time for him to knock over some tables. About 10, 12 years ago, we bought this cool old 1970s house in Seattle. And this house, we like, we love to call it the Brady Bunch house, right? It had these funny features on it. So you walk up and it has these garage doors that were in the shape of a trapezoid. Super bizarre. It was like this rust color of the trim. And 
if you look at the profile of the house, like the second story shot out to the side, it was this really bizarre, fun little split-level house that had no end in sight of projects to do. One of the first things that we had to do, though, was we had to take care of this room that had been created in this garage, right? I don't know what was going on, but it was disgusting. The drywall was just rotting. And so my oldest, who was about six, seven years old at the time, and I, who had been watching lots of home improvement shows, said, hey, guess what we get to do? And so I got my sledgehammer, and she got her little hammer, and we went after that room. And it was so much fun to put holes in this wall and to tear that thing down. And you watch some of those shows. Some houses have to be demoed just a little bit, maybe a room here or there, maybe a wall, something like that. Other houses, they've got to be completely gutted. They need to be leveled. Maybe they'll spare a few walls here and there. Jesus is saying to this temple, This place needs to be completely gutted. Jesus needed to take a sledgehammer to the temple. There's this prophet in the Old Testament, a very small book. The prophet's name is Amos. And Amos lived about seven to eight hundred years before Jesus. And there's a very similar story about the corruption of God's people. And God has absolutely had it with what is going on with his people. And these are some of the direct quotes about the financial exploitation going on. Jesus said, you are trampling on the heads of the poor. This is not the government. This is God's chosen people. And so God looks at them. He sees what's on their hearts. And then he sees them coming to worship on a regular basis. And he says, I despise your festivals. Your worship gatherings are a stench to me. Your worship music, that's just noise. I don't want it. The time had come for Jesus to knock over some tables. It was time for him to demo the old, and it was time for a new temple. And Jesus redefined that temple. And in fact, that new temple was not a building. In John chapter 4, Jesus comes across the Samaritan woman and he tells her that true worshipers would worship in spirit and in truth. And then a couple chapters before that, in the same story in the book of John, Jesus tells them, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. But he wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about himself. You might, know, you might know what happened with Jesus and the temple at his death. The exact moment on the cross when Jesus gives his last breath, the temple curtain splits into two. And remember, the temple curtain is what divided the people from the most holy place that was only accessible to the high priest who would go in and atone for the sins of the people. When that temple curtain tore, Jesus was telling the people, there is nothing that is blocking you from coming to God. Face to face, you come to me. 
Gentiles included, come to me. All right, so let's imagine what this story would look like in 2021, right? Where would Jesus go, right? If, he, if we're going to make a movie, let's see here. Um, Las Vegas, right? That's probably the first place that Jesus would just go crazy. How about New Orleans? How about Hollywood? How about um, Moscow? How about Beijing? Where are those places across the world? Uh, Washington, D.C.? That's where Jesus would go, right? Well, this story says that Jesus goes to the temple. So Jesus would go straight to the church. Ooh. The capital C church, you can call it. Christians across the world, Christians across the country. All right, so what would Jesus knock over if he's coming to us? How about preachers that break stools when their team loses. All right. I will own that. Counseling for my kids for years to come. How about Jesus coming to our own temple divisions? Not the outside people and the inside people across, right? But our divisions. How about what has happened in the last couple years in our country? How about our political divisions? And it seems to me, whatever your bent is, that a lot of us have spent more time putting our hope, energy, efforts, and dare I even say, worship to our politicians. That they are the ones that are going to solve our problems. How about our hate? How about our prejudice? Sunday morning remains to be the most segregated hour in our country. Where for the most part, we worship next to people who either look like us or kind of do life like us. Why is it that in 2021, not 1955, Montgomery, Alabama, but in 2021, elderly Asian Americans in Chinatowns, like in Oakland and San Francisco, are being beaten? Why is it that there are so many African-Americans that are living in fear? Why is it that immigrants who are seeking asylum, no matter what your politics are or belief about immigration are, why is it that they are living so in such poverty and being held at the border, wherever it is, and being treated as second-class human beings? Why is it our privilege that we happen to live 60 miles north of the border that we have way nicer stuff? Is it because I deserve it? Is it because I'm a better human being? You see, too often that I've seen in churches or hanging out with Christians for so long, including myself, Christian has come to mean somebody who is nice and somebody who is compliant. And my personality I'm a peacemaker. I'm a happy guy when everything is going perfectly, right? If the waves pick up, I get really nervous. And so it's been a lesson for me to learn confrontation. Jesus came to bring a sword. Jesus came to divide. You and I 
got to knock over some tables. We got to call out corruption when we see it. All right, let's narrow our focus, church, right? Let's, let's get to the local church, right? The one down the street? No. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about Cross Point. But now, before we do that, I do want to remind you that next Sunday, we are taking a special offering for the Learjet for the Cross Point staff. So <laughs> it will greatly expedite ministry, and it's, you know, bad joke. Crosspoint, do we welcome Gentiles? And you can use that term any way that you want to. Do we welcome or do we deny access to people who are earnestly seeking God? I attended a vineyard church in college many years ago for a year, and I loved their slogan, come as you are. No matter how you smell, how you look, no matter what's going on in your finances, no matter the list of sins that others will point out, come as you are. And we will let God take, from, take it from there. This is not a license to say, hey, anything goes at Cross Point Church. You can do anything you want. It's not that. Pastor Steve talked a few weeks ago about messiness. Are we willing to get a little dirty? Are we willing to get messy? and opening our doors to anyone and squeezing them with a hug when they come in and letting the Holy Spirit do the rest. Another point for us, Cross Point, how have we treated our staff and our pastors this year? Tell you what, I've been in ministry roles for many years. I'm not in one now, so you can be as mad at me as you want. That's fine. This is not something they told me to say. (laughs) But it is really, really hard to be a pastor. And I cannot imagine what the last year has been like for the staff or for pastors and staff at other churches as well. And a lot of you have jobs that are super hard and I'm not saying that they've had a worse year than you. Everybody's had a bad year. But when you are in a position of caring for people, of giving everything you have, of exposing yourself your schedule of telling everybody all your issues and loving on them. And the payback includes just rage and hatred. That's such a hard thing to take. It takes a toll when people complain, when people leave, even if it's for the right reasons. If I was to examine your social media in the last 12 months, would I find more said about complaining about a church's mask policy or would I find more information about the way that you are praying for your pastoral staff? Would I find more information about you complaining about the things going on here and when are they going to let us indoors or the prayer that you have for those who are poor and suffering? How have you spent that time? All right, are you uncomfortable yet? Wait, there's more. Sometimes you got to knock over some tables. And one of those things about preaching is that you kind of wrestle with this the whole week. So I've had to wrestle with this stuff first. You're getting it firsthand right now. If we narrow our focus now and we look at ourselves, just me, just you, We are reminded that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And because we are temples, you might have some tables set up that need to be knocked over. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's, it's a few. Maybe there's some serious demo that has to be taken. Maybe just a wall or two. So who are your Gentiles? Who is that person or who are those people that are different than you that you just write off? Who is it that you hate? And some of us do it vocally and some of us just keep it inside our hearts because we're nice. How about your greed? What have you done with your money this year? Did you quit giving money to, to Cross Point Church? Did you hold on to it a little more tightly? That was, that was a tough decision. What are we going to do with that? Do you own a small business? How do you treat your employees? How do you treat your customers? How do you treat your competitors? Is it anything goes? Because it's not personal, it's just business? Or do you honor God with your money and your business as well? All right, now this is getting a little bit too personal. I, I don't think I like this Jesus. I like the Jesus who's kicking over tables a couple miles that way or over there. I, I don't think I like the Jesus or this guy talking about the tables that I got to knock over myself. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says there is a time to mend, but there's also a time to tear down. My friends, today is demo day. What has to be torn down inside your heart? One of the funniest things about preaching on a regular basis is that God always meets you and things always seem to line up in, in a way that goes beyond what I could orchestrate, almost to a, a comical state. Getting up in front and saying, boy, God, you have a very good sense of humor. So here's one example this week. I'm the vice principal at the elementary school at Linfield. And we have this incentive thing that we do three or four times a year, and it's called Market Day. Market Day occurred two days ago, Friday, right? The second time this year. And Market Day is the day when kids can gather up all those pieces of paper that they've earned for good behavior and use it to exchange for gifts. And most of those gifts, however, are things that their peers have made at home. Right, so bracelets and lip balm and paper airplanes, uh, you name it, the kids will sell this stuff and they go nuts. Because of COVID, there's no uh, 9 a.m. hot dogs this year or nachos that kids make when they're on the ground. It's kind of gross. But it's really funny. It's really ironic. And we have market day, guess where? On the chapel patio. That's right. We don't have an indoor space on our campus. So it takes place at the same location where every Friday kids come together and they worship. And we have guest speakers. Pastor Beth was actually there on Friday and she did the talk. And so the same place where these kids sing and they dance in such a way that they show that they have no shame whatsoever. It's the funniest thing ever. That same location where they worship God and hear his word is where they purchase stuff <laughs> in the temple. 
So I was looking at the, the principal on Friday. We were talking like, ah, you think I should like kick over some tables of an eight-year-old? It would be such a great lesson. They would really remember it forever. But market day in the chapel patio at Linfield is kind of like this microcosm for life for kids. Because in first grade and kindergarten, they're singing and they're dancing and they're looking for squirrels and everything like that. And then they have the privilege by second grade to start selling items at market day. And they're super excited to sell whatever it is, right? The hot dogs or the bracelets. A few years pass and these kids continue to sell things, but then they start looking around them and they notice, hey, that kid's selling more stuff than I am. Hey, those kids' bracelets are way nicer than mine. And they start to notice and to compare. I'm not as good as. And you know that as time passes and they go into middle school that their lives start to change. And even at private schools, private Christian schools, a lot of those kids come from broken homes. Terrible stories. And their hearts are broken. And as they age, their zest for life starts to wane. And they start to wonder, who am I? All these identity issues. And pretty soon, they become adults. And many of them will have found themselves drifting from God. And I think about those temple vendors that Jesus knocked their tables over. You know what? Those guys were kids once too. Those guys went to chapel and danced and sang with reckless abandon. Something happened along the way. And you and I were once those kids, singing and dancing in chapel. And we woke up one day and may have found ourselves drifted from God. And we find ourselves selling doves to other people for more money than we should, or exploiting the poor, or maybe we're worshiping the wrong thing, and our hearts are a little bit corrupt. Now, this is not something that we planned. We didn't set out at five years old to say, you know what I want to do one day? I want to overcharge other people for doves. I just want to squeeze the life out of them. That'll be great someday, right? It just happened. Our hearts slowly swayed. But after being Debbie Downer now for the last 20, 30, 40 minutes, I have some amazing news for you. This same Jesus gave his life for us. Even knowing that corruption inside our hearts, even knowing that hate, that prejudice, whatever it is going on on the inside, he's still went to the cross for you. No exceptions. And that temple curtain tore and he gave access, full access, to Jew and Gentile alike. This whole demo thing, this whole table, tables being knocked over inside of us, it hurts. Maybe today is going to be the first day that's going to hurt in a long time. But it pays off.
because that demo leads to a rebuild. Something more beautiful. Hebrews chapter four says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. My friends, grab a sledgehammer. It's demo day. It's time to knock over some tables. Let's pray. This morning you might find yourself in in a different place. Some of you might want access to this Jesus for the first time in your life. And I want to encourage you, walk through that curtain. Open up your arms, embrace him. Some of you this morning need to thank God for the way that he has defended you, that he has come to help you, that he's got your back that you are that person being manipulated, exploited. And some of you may need to do some demo today. You might need one table knocked down. You might need 10 tables knocked down. Go to Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.